This is a Broad Pods production. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When it comes to women's rights, in many cases, the freedoms we have today are because of the persistence of lawyers who've gone before us. So how does the law protect and empower women? Well, understanding your rights is a good place to start. In this podcast, we go inside landmark cases and the laws that have redesigned society. And we'll hear from strong, smart and experienced lawyers determined to make a difference in the lives of women and girls. I'm Jo Stanley and this is Lay Down the Law. Lay Down the Law is a collaboration between Broad Radio and Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers, experience you can count on. Australia is home to the oldest continuing living culture in the world. Aboriginal people have lived on this land for 60,000 years and this country always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We're surrounded by very sacred sites that must be protected. One such site is in Bandiuta, a section of Wallabadina Station near the town of Hawker in the Flinders Ranges, South Australia. This special area has 14 storylines or songlines running through it, including the Seven Sisters songline and the Pungapurna songline, which at 72 kilometres long is the longest mapped storyline in the world. You learn when you're young about your culture and you learn from the elders about the stories. And with us, the best time for learning was at night when we slept outside under the stars. And the storylines, um, they are there to explain the land and their landmarks to get you home. Um, and these stories, they run like across the land and into other areas. When the Australian Federal Government proposed a nuclear waste dump at Wallabadina, the traditional owners, the Ajamatna people, were devastated. But three sisters, Regina and Vivian McKenzie and Heather Stewart, instantly mobilised and launched a battle to save their sacred site, partnering with Morris Blackburn lawyers in the process. In this episode of Lay Down the Law, I'm joined by two of those incredible sisters, Regina and Heather, and Social Justice Senior Associate at Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Nikki Lees. We'll hear about their five-year-long battle, as well as how the law falls short when it comes to protecting Aboriginal culture. But let's start with a cultural lesson from Regina and Heather. The storylines is something that once you are told it, told about it, you keep it in your mind and it helps you when you go bush to identify different areas and you know what areas you can go to and where you can't go. Um, Storylines also talk about uh, like it's with food and that in the seasons and that the people walked around 
following the seasons and most of the time they were near where the storylines are because uh, where the storyline goes and the sites of significance. Storyline and songlines are two same things. Uh, a songline will run within within a storyline. Um, the best other word would be to use it as a knowledge system. Mm -hmm. um, a knowledge system and an education system, that's what storylines and songlines are. Uh, a child is, is taught the storylines when they're small and storylines grow with you. A child, every story, no matter how sacred it is, has got a child version. And um, it's something that we grow into. So are some of the stories, do they come with an oral history? Do they come with an actual narrative that you learn? Yeah. Um, it's, when you look at the, the land and the country, it's, um, it, it's like a play. One hill could play four characters. But, um, you know, and, and it changes as the story changes. It, it, it's very complicated when you're trying to explain it to somebody but um it it's like our book and when you go to a library and you go through your library and you check all your storybooks in a library it's the same way when we go out on country we're going out in our library and if that um storyline is destroyed that's like a page out of your storybook um ripped out you know and, a chapter um, yeah so tell us about this particular site that was nominated for the Nuclear Waste Dump. What storylines or songlines are in that particular area? Our storylines and stuff that run through, there's multiple storylines that run through this one area, but it is, a, um, it is a, mostly a woman's story that, um, that is within those areas like Pungapurana, Seven Sisters. Um, Can you tell us about the Seven Sisters? The Seven Sisters, we call them Martinis. Um, that is one. That is one storyline that connects every every nation of Aboriginal people. Um, the only way I can explain it that it goes through Australia like a like a web, all the way through. And each and if there is a seven sisters that is uh, impacted in one spot, every woman, Aboriginal woman in Australia, is affected through that because the storylines flows through the um the land like a spiritual like a spiritual river that goes through and it's something that um you know uh it affected us but i also we also know and believe that it it affected every aboriginal woman in australia i think then you've got you then you've got the native not native you've got the um you've got moodle and everything going through there right yes it's yeah. yes, we've got it. We had our, our archaeological sites there, we had our um, the water hole there, but we also had our spiritual connection there as well. And that was the intangibles was totally ignored. What's that? What's intangible mean? Intangible means the um, word intangible takes in the spiritual and the stuff that you can't see in that, um, you know, like spiritual and but. Even sometimes a tangible can be an intangible. You know, a tree could have a tree where spirits live. So it is also both a tangible and an intangible um, thing of it. And when they, when they go out and do their heritage surveys, they only talk about, what they only talk about is the archeology. span 
they never take in our spiritual aspects, our belief system. Um, it's like it's like um, approaching approaching people in the Middle East and saying to them, "Hey, guess what? You know where you got Mecca? We want to put a waste dump right there where that place where they walk around, and we pretend to or they go to Rome and put it where the Pope is. You know, if you were to go and do that at Rome, you know, you'd have every Catholic person in this world want to tar and feather you. Yet, they want to put a waste dump in our sacred places and, and we haven't got a say? No, that's not right. So let's get to the law. Nikki Lees, Social Justice Senior Associate at Morris Blackburn. What provision does the law have to protect Aboriginal sacred sites? How did you go about this legal battle? Well, look, from a, I guess from a legal perspective, um, and it's a difficult situation. And I, I think this issue is really indicative of other issues that we see come up across Australia. And that's really that our our legal system just, just does not protect Aboriginal cultural heritage properly in this country. Um, and really trying to fit the importance and trying to understand the importance of cultural heritage um, and have that recognised in our legal system was really trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Um, it really felt like, you know, whitefellow law just didn't get it. And um, the legal system isn't set up to actually protect particularly intangible cultural heritage. So. You know, you, you use what you have. So that's really looking at judicial review. Um, so can we challenge the minister's decision? We put them on notice that we were watching um, um, and basically just going down the track of trying to find any kind of, you know, things that you can nitpick around how decisions have been made. How can they mm. possibly not see that this is something that needs to be protected but whitefellow law hasn't... hasn't um hasn't caught up with this it. is this is one of the issues that I had during this fight you know I said every other na every other religion is protected under law you know they would not do this to a, a Catholic church they would not do this to a Muslim um, mosque they would not do this to a um, to a um, Jewish temple yet they do it to my sacred places like when we went out there with the French people and um, we stood them and I asked them how important Notre Dame was to them. And they said, very important. And they said, that's our place of worship and all this. And they explained it to us what Notre Dame meant to them. Next day we went out and we stood out at Bandigood and I was, as we jumped out of the car and they jumped out and I said, welcome to my Notre Dame. Mm. You know, I said, this is my place of worship. This is where I come and talk to my old people and my old ones. You know, and that's what the government needs to understand that when Aboriginal people talk about our old ones, it is our creator beings, it is our creator who put these stories there. It is our religion. And we should have the same kind of protection that any other religion has. And the thing that I always, always talk to you about, Nikki, is I like the um, United Nations um, Indigenous Human Rights all right. If they were to implement that here into Australia, all right, we wouldn't have these problems. So this all began in 2015 when Regina and Heather, you discovered that your sacred site had been nominated as a nuclear waste dump. How did you learn about this? We came back from Adelaide. We watched the ABC News and lo and behold, up 
Pops um, Hawker and Andurri. <laughs> they actually filmed Yapla, didn't they, Heather? Mm. And it was like, it was like, what the hell moment? You know what I mean? And you know, everybody was ringing around. Everybody asking who who nominated this waste dump. And we did eventually find out that it was Wallabadina, and that's when we got back in contact with ABC. And we told them um, the nominated waste dump in Wallabadina is um, the person who used to own it. But the thing is, is that um, when we looked on the internet on their site, it looked like it was either on on Yapla or or, or the um, next door neighbours, which is John Rose Place. And um, like he rang us asking us, "Did you nominate a site?" So did Partakuna. Everybody was starting to freak out. You know, all the pastoralists, and we. It took us a, a long time. Like when we rang rang Canberra and as soon as we said that we're Ajumatna people they told us there's no native title out there and we don't have to speak to you and they hung up on me you know um, that was that was a total shock you know, no matter how much we wrong they hung up on us and they, and they refused to talk to us because they just kept on saying there's no um, no native title out there so we impersonated a non-Aboriginal person and we rang them and they told us exactly where it was. It was Wallabadina and that's when we, we're the ones that rang ABC and told ABC it's Wallabadina Station and it's Grant Chapman who's nominated. So after you have discovered that this is a proposed site for a nuclear waste dump, what did you do? How do you respond to that? Um, with me... It was quite a shock, and I thought, what the heck are we going to do? And um, me and Regina just got into overdrive then and was ringing this way and that way, and um, it, it was like, it was actually like someone had passed away, had died, and it was like my husband was freaking out, and my son, my late son was freaking out, my daughters were freaking out, Regina was freaking out and Mina just got into action and was ringing left, right and centre to um, the ABC and whoever. Mm. Yeah, and it was terrible. So what steps did you take? The steps that we went through, like it was, first it was me and, me and Heather and our families and then, um, and then we got the Ajumatna women involved. We got Vivian involved. And then we got Vivian involved, but we also... We also um, we also went talking to the the pastoralists, and then we got um, then we uh, all the Aboriginal Ajumatna women said we need to get the Aboriginal people and the non-Aboriginal people working together, and that's our um, the Flinders Rangers Action Group flag was formed. That was formed by um, the old the old Aborig our cousins who they wanted it formed so that we could all have something so that everybody will have a say in it. So we got flags um, going, and then we went round. We was, we went. I went practically all over the um, country um, trying to get help, and that then we 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 got in touch with the ABC. ABC um, done a lot of the stories. Also, we also got in touch with um, somebody from Routers. Um, 
um, Timothy Large came up and done a story on us, and that's how we got an international um, an international audience. Um, we also we also lobbied Scotland, um, um, the UK, because some of the waste that was coming out was was coming from the UK. So we we actually started we got connections in Scotland, and um, you know we was talking to the first um, first minister of Scotland. Um, which she's a lovely lady, um, and you know she supported us a hundred percent. We had all the Mackenzies behind yep, us, in Scotland. and we had all the Mackenzies in Scotland behind us, and found a lot of relatives. Um, also, uh, it was just um, you know we had people in Spain, we had people in Germany, we had people in France, Native Americans. we had Native Americans, um, Standing Rock people there. We had also had the. Japanese people coming and supporting us. Um, we also had um, people from the Machu Picchu people come and support us, and um, and you know and the great work that Cat Beaton and Dave Sweeney done, and also then we got uh, Morrison Blackburn and then Vince in, got involved. And Vince got involved. Vince was a Vince Coldard was a great support. You know he supported the women, and he he was there with us from from go he was always there supporting us you know we had great we had the women had a great support from the men um within the ajamatna people or well most of the men um but it was the fight itself and i remember we also we pushed to get the um the counts the votes and stuff all done um but i remember the day the day that the voting was done, and it was we that was going to the counting, and without the upline, me and Heather, we both woke up. And the weird thing is, the country it is like the country told us that the votes were going our way, and we were t really calm. We was like, "Yeah, cat, it's not going to happen." Cat was having kittens, which is quite funny. <laughs> um, she practically, I thought she was going to have a nervous break, and we got into Hawk, and we was doing a um an interview with ABC and then all of a sudden Kat's like we won the vote we won the vote and that's when me Heather and Vivian and Kat and we were just all jumping around in circles and then it was because we were crying and jumping around so much we had the ABC reporters jumping around and crying with us as well um, but you know it was something that we knew that day that it was going to go um, but the day that they announced that they were leaving Bandiyut at the Wallabadeen area. Is the day the rain came back? Wow! It didn't rain for five years. The day that they nominated, it didn't rain. But the day it was pulled is the day that it rained. That's and pretty that's beautiful. They, the country, the land itself, didn't want them there because the land was in drought, wasn't it? At mm, the time? For five years, five-year drought. So I think one of the really unique things about this case was that these powerhouses of women did not need lawyers to advocate for them. They were doing that themselves. They were doing it you know, in um, partnership with other organizations, with community members. So in terms of um, you know, the political advocacy, I would call them up and they'd have already spoken to two ministers by 9am. Um, so they were just, you know, 
really on top of all of that. And um, the media and as well. Like the media. the media. They were just, you know, let's call the ABC. Let's speak to the yeah. to Scotland. Like that's incredible. Yep, yep. yep. The, the First we Minister the of Scotland phone. was we already involved. It's incredible. Yeah, you know, it was a really unique situation for us because often you do bring lawyers in and you kind of come up with a case strategy and a media strategy and an advocacy strategy. But I was constantly three steps behind these these women. It was, you know, <laughs> they're just, yeah, powerhouses. Um, and it's a complete credit to their ongoing, you know, I guess just the willingness to never give up. And that has been so obvious throughout the whole process, even when Regina's hair was white, as she was saying. <laughs> I just think they went, I think they just picked the wrong spot. Mm. And the wrong women to mess with. Yeah. <laughs> they did pick the wrong women to mess with. Stay with us after this short break. We break down the legal side of the fight to save this sacred site from a nuclear waste dump. Plus, Regina, Heather and Vivian receive wonderful recognition for their work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Work. From 2015, there was so much work done in this fight, led by Regina, Heather and Vivian, but it also involved conservationists, Aboriginal leader and Nandjumatna man Vince Coulthart, Kat Beaton from Umiwari Radio, a whole swag of people. And, you know, you can hear just how extensive the political advocacy was. So, Nikki, when did you and Morris Blackburn come on board? So, basically, we came on board in 2018, um, when no one was really sure what the minister was going to do. So as Regina mentioned, a couple of different sites had been nominated across Australia and we didn't know which one the minister was going to pick. So a lot of our role was looking at whether we can question the minister's decision, is there anything we can do to stop that decision? In what ways can we protect cultural heritage? So that fight really started from around 2018. Um, in 2019, the community ballot was held to assess whether the community was willing to have the waste dump on their land. Um, and at the end of 2019, that result came back with a resounding no, the community was not willing. In 2020, the minister then announced that Wallabadina would not be the site of the waste dump. So um, what actually was the government position to begin with? because there was no native title in place on this land. Is that how they justified it? They tried to justify Ooh. it by saying there was no native title at the start. And look, that's an incredibly weak argument and that didn't last long because it's wrong. It's just completely wrong. Um, native title is a separate issue. And of course, I think all Australians would agree that when you've got 14, at least 14 intersecting song lines, you have sacred women's sites. It doesn't matter if native title has been extinguished or not. We all have an obligation to protect the cultural heritage yeah. and to listen to the women when they're also saying, and, this is important to us. Mm. And what we did as well, and we actually went and visited Josh Frydenberg, who was then minister. Uh, we did have a an half an hour meeting with him, which turned out to be a three hour meeting. 
Um, but within this meeting, we explained to him in detail, like, yes, there is no native title out there, but we've always had this continuance on land and country. So how then were they justifying the selection and like nominating this particular site? That was justifying it by, they said that it was a, um, a so-called community, um, a community nominated area, which is a whole lot of hogwash because it was only Grant Chapman and Phil Speakman that actually nominated Wallabadina. Um, and it was not the Hawker community. Uh, it was not the Flinders Ranges community. It was just those two men. Where the radioactive waste was or is, um, is Lucas Heights, a suburb out of Sydney, or a suburb in Sydney. Basically, the government announced that they needed to uh, find a longer term solution for this radioactive waste. And instead of going back to the drawing board and really thinking, what is a long term solution? What is a sustainable solution? They went for this haphazard, we need to do something straight away. Let's um, allow nominations for a waste dump site. And as Regina just mentioned, um, individuals can nominate the site. Um, and it was selected based on that individual nomination without consultation to the community. And that's really where the entire system started to fall down, that issue of consultation, because it wasn't done properly. So when that site was nominated, um, you know, what you had is, is cherry picking. So talking to people that already agree with the government, not talking to the right traditional owners, um, and not, again, understanding the cultural context of the land. So what is the provision in the Radioactive Waste Management Act for culturally significant science, if at all? It doesn't exist. So that's a massive... Exactly. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Um, and not, not even does it not exist, it goes the other way. So the National Radioactive Waste Management Act is the governing piece of legislation and it specifically gives the minister or gives the government the power to override considerations such as cultural heritage. So you really got into this situation where the law was just putting up roadblocks for these women at every point. Um, and so what we really need to see coming out of this is some kind of federal protection for cultural heritage, some kind of recognition for intangible cultural heritage, not just tangible cultural heritage. You know, with the Drunken Gorge um, disaster that uh, happened in the last couple of years, you know, there was a national outcry and so there should have been. And there needs to be an equally, um, you know, loud national outcry for things like storylines, songlines, intangible cultural heritage. And that needs to be reflected in both state and federal legislation. And I'm really hoping that with the new government in power, we have a government that's got appetite for that. And listen to women like Regina, Heather and Vivian, because they're the ones that are telling us what we need. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it, Nikki? The focus then shifted to how can we make sure that it doesn't happen again um, and what law reform can we do, what kind of advocacy can we do, um, and trying to make sure that the women's voices are you know, captured, so things like this podcast or um, going to Canberra and meeting with politicians, really trying to get some law reform um, on the table. Um, and just in terms of timeline, that's when the women's second fight started. In the process of looking at where they'd put the waste dump, there was a number of tests that were conducted. Um, they didn't take the appropriate cultural monitors out with them. Um, they didn't talk to the women before they went out there. 
and actually the area that they desecrated was registered under South Australian Heritage Registrar. So it just never should have happened, but it did. Then when the desecration happened, there was a really slow and poor response from the federal government. So we ended up with a situation where you know, the Adjumatna women are incredibly upset about what's happening with the waste dump. And on top of that, one of their sites has been desecrated while you have the federal government saying, don't worry, trust us, we're not going to harm your land. So what basically happened there is um, looking at a gang, what are our legal remedies when you have desecrated a site? Um, and so the women, the women issued, um, with the help of Morris Blackburn, a complaint to the Australian Human Rights Commission. Um, that complaint went through the various processes and it's a confidential, um, confidential process, but there was a mediation and a conciliation um, and discussions with the government around that. So the women were incredibly strong in that process too, um, you know, articulating what damage was done to them um, emotionally, physically by that desecration. And for me as a for me as a white lawyer from Melbourne, it was just such a massive learning experience as well around the connection that that site has for you women. And I was so privileged that I was could see that, but it was such an eye-opening experience. Like you said before, Regina, that until white Australia or non-Aboriginal people go out and really either understand the spiritual meaning of that land or see your fight mm. or get to witness like how much of your soul was in that fight. Like, you know, it's, it's really life-changing on my side. Well, Regina and Heather, can you explain for us the impact of having that site desecrated? Um, the only way I could put it is that um, it, there's always a scar there, but with this site, this scar will always hurt. You know, it, it will always be a painful scar. It's something, what they've done to the eldest seven sister, and she's our guardian. And what happened to her was um, totally unacceptable. Once that site is uh, desecrated, um, like that, that storyline, it's not finished, it's but it's scarred, and uh, and it it what's going to happen is kids of the future like our lot today know that that is the Seven Sisters songline. That Seven Sisters site that got desecrated. That's we have now when we really don't want to, we've got to tell future generations and get that passed on that this is the Seven Sisters songline site and the, and the significant site. But the thing is, it's been desecrated. So in hindsight, that's that terrible dis uh, thing that we've got to tell others that... It's how it's been it, desecrated, yeah, eh? How it's been desecrated and that there then also becomes a part of it. they they got to know about that desecration because if things go wrong, spiritually and with the land uh they they'll know that's it maybe because of that desecration you know we're all in this country together but this country is one of one of the oldest um countries in the world the spirits in this land are still here even there in melbourne and stuff where you guys are it's it's here it's in sydney it's in canberra the spirits are still there the storylines are still there what they did to that um, elder seven sister, I can never forgive that because it's something that scarred her 
for life. It's something that cannot be changed. It's something that cannot be healed because it's, it, it damaged us spiritually. Nikki, what, if anything, is the ongoing impact of this fight? Do you imagine that this will change anything as far as legislation goes? I think the fight already has changed things um, in some ways. I think there's a long way to go. As as Regina was mentioning, you know, for these women, it is a fight every day. Um, And it's a a really shameful thing that in Australia, the law doesn't properly protect their cultural heritage. So they do have to keep fighting every day. And, you know, it ends up relying on um, pro bono lawyers to do cases like this case um but you know it shouldn't be up to that kind of um haphazard approach it should be legal protection the government's moved on to another site in kimber um and again the tradition it is a different situation but the traditional owners have um, also indicated they don't want the waste dump there so this idea of um you know listening to communities and learning from communities there's a long way to go in adopting that. I think there was a really big shift since the Drunken Gorge um, explosion. And I think Australia is beginning to understand um, the loss if we destroy cultural heritage. But I think we need to follow that up with like really concrete um, legislative change. But also not just that, but listening and trying to understand what is cultural heritage and why is it important. Um, And I think you know, that kind of truth-telling process or that understanding process is incredibly important. And while that advocacy is very much ongoing, there was actually a really special conclusion to this particular fight wasn't there. Can you tell us about the award? So Regina, Heather and Vivian all were named as um, a Human Rights Hero, uh, got the Human Rights Hero Award from the Australian Human Rights Commission. Uh, And this was given to... Um, only a couple of people in the whole of Australia and it was a recognition of their struggle, a recognition of the fact they never gave up even when they felt like giving up, um, which was I'm sure many, many times, but they kept going. So the award was really special and they should be so proud of it um, because it was acknowledging that they went above and beyond in fighting for their land and they led the community and um, you know, Australia is better off generally as a whole for the fight to protect their heritage. So that was a really, really special, special moment to get that award. Well, I do believe that it is incredibly well-deserved, Regina and Heather, and we are all indebted to you both and to Vivian for saving that very beautiful and very sacred place. I'm I'm grateful to you for that. Like I said, um, Nikki, you know that award it's got our name and stuff on it, but it's got Morrison Blackburn there as well. And with everybody who fought with us, you know, everybody who was at those, um, when we used to have the protests and stuff, all those people that came to Adelaide and stuff and protested with us and all those people that support us around the world, it's, they're, they're my heroes. You're my hero, Nikki. You know, well, you're me you're and um, Vivian's right. And, um, that's the thing that um, I think it was teamwork. It was teamwork of everybody working together. You know, um, my thing's on the um, human rights. First, it was a big shock because 
like we didn't start this campaign because we wanted to win awards. We done it because we love the country that we live in. Yeah. Um, I look at I look at Okna or Pungapurana, I look at the Artinis, which is the Seven Sisters, I look at all the storylines and stuff. That's my heroes. You know, um my my culture is what keeps me strong and that is my hero and to get such a an award a human rights award is it is a it is a great privilege and you know i'm very humble about it like um when nikki let us know it was like what you know and we was i was like can hell we got this something we, 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 we've really... been nominated we knew we was nominated we were like we've been nominated and i was like you know, all right, and then goes, oh, don't worry, we won't win. <laughs> I think um, all the people that stood with us, the non-Aboriginal people, the um, flag groups, we, we, we did it together. We all did it together. When we come together, it was an Aboriginal camp or a white camp. It was everybody has one. We'd do it again. I'd fight for that land because we're part of that land mm. and we're going to go back to that land. And we don't want, and that land provides for us. It, it, like, if we run out of food, like, say, with this, what's going on in the world today, that land is still there to provide for us. And um, the bush tuck is still there. We didn't want that, you know, to be poisoned by nuclear waste dumps. So, hmm. I guess that's so, our supermarket. Guess, yeah, that's our <laughs> yeah. supermarket, like Regina just said. And yeah. yeah, I'll fight, I'd keep fighting for it. I'd do it again. Um, a lot of people talk about traditional owners. We're not owners. We belong to the land. So when they go in and they impact land, they're impacting us. If they go in and they poison the land, they're poisoning us. You know, um, both physically and spiritually, there is things that like that comes in the spiritual and physically it comes in the intangibles and intangibles. The tangibles and intangibles. The stuff that the thing is, is that I just, what I'd like to say to the rest of Australia is stop, listen, and believe and respect. Respect our belief. Give us that right to be able to protect what is significant and sacred to us. You know, we respect the sacredness of places like memorial for the um, returned soldiers. We respect the churches and stuff of non-Aboriginal people. We want that same respect back. Mm -hmm. Next time on Lay Down the Law, we take a sidestep away from specifically legal issues to bring you an open and important conversation about caring for our mental health. We're going to be joined by mental health and disability advocate Flick Manning and Harlan Gandock from Mental Health Foundation Australia. And we're going to explore what is making us mentally unwell and how we can feel better. Thanks for listening to Lay Down the Law. Check out the other episodes in this series wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, drop us a rating while you're there. That would be super lovely of you.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.